Aunt, no, I have. But the people oh my God, who they come they... to see Aunt, they cheer at a meeting. Canvas, Aunt and Ideas on FBI Radio. You're listening to FBI 94.5 and this is Canvas, a show about art and ideas created by a team of artists. This morning we are broadcasting live from Art Space in Woolloomooloo on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and we pay respects to their elders past and present. My name is David Capra. Today I'm without my two uh, co-hosts, Nat Randall and Abdul Abdullah, but I'm joined by Amelia Winata. Good morning, Amelia. Hello, Who- David. Who are you? Oh. <laughs> well, I've been your sub-editor on UN for the past year now. That's right. So UN, UN magazine uh, comes out from Melbourne, and it's a, it's a fantastic um, arts publication. We've been working together. What else do you get up to during the oh, week? I'm a typical arts worker. I've got about yes. a million things on the go. Um, <laughs> I'm an independent writer. I write for Art Guide, Art Monthly, Ace Broadsheet. Um, I'm a curator. I'm doing the next curated exhibition for Next Wave Exciting. with West Space in yeah. May. So a lot on, yeah. And what was it like working with me on <laughs> <laughs> It was a dream. That's what I want to hear. It was fantastic. But we were just um, reminiscing, I guess, on the fact that we've only ever met twice. That's correct. In yeah. the flesh. I know. And everything but else many is... many hours of emails. So many, many emails. And a bit of Skyping too. A little bit. Yeah. Yes. So we are here this morning for Volume, another art book fair here at Artspace Sydney. The second edition for this for this event features over 70 exhibitors from across Australia and the world, including Amsterdam, Hong Kong, South Korea, France and the United States. And um, so if you're in the area, come on down to Artspace and we're launching Un Magazine at midday. So that's very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a huge Huge show, as always, lined up for the next hour. What do we have on today? Okay, well, we'll be talking to Frank Lome of Onomatope and Parker Bruce of Badlands Unlimited. Giselle Stamborough interviews Athena X of The Real Housewives of Sydney, plus Malcolm Whitaker and Sarah Rodigari. And I thought we could talk a little bit about um, our, un- our unedition. So yes. it's called Laugh Now, Cry Later. And um, I, we have a little editorial chat at the beginning, which is always a quite it's a strange um, thing to do over email, isn't it? <laughs> to make it look like it's fluid, but it's quite um, it's uh, it's something that went on for a, a, a week or two. Our yeah, dialogue. it's kind of like, but I think it also evolves really nicely mm. over that time, as opposed to actually sitting down and you know talking about things and not having time to think about it. So mm. in a way, it's. It's really nice. And I was on my way here. I was casting my mind back to why I ran with this with this theme of yes. laugh now, cry later. And I think at the time Carrie Fisher had just died. And I've always loved Carrie Fisher. Mm. I mean, many people know her as Princess Layla, but she's also um, a big mental health advocate, um, particularly for shock therapy. Yeah. Um, and she wrote a book called Postcards from the Edge that um, that star then that was turned into. A film with Meryl Streep and um, Debbie Reynolds. No, Debbie Reynolds is her mother. So basically, <laughs> no. It, wait, 
Now I'm confused. I've, I've forgotten the Dennis other. Quaid. Dennis Quaid is yes. in. That's right. Anyway, <laughs> postcard. I, I, and then I became a little bit obsessed with Mike Nichols, the director who did the the Birdcage, which I think is a near perfect comedy, and The Graduate. Yes. And so postcards from the edge, um, for me, was really important. So I started to do a bit of research on him, and um, and I thought. Yes, this is what I want to do. I want I want this edition to be on on humour. And Mike kept talking about the the gap, the vacuum between the laughs being an interesting mm-hmm. space. But there was one, I just I went on scriptorama.com and there was some beautiful dialogue that Carrie Fisher um, Carrie Fisher wrote. And Amelia and I are going to give that a whirl. We're going now. to give it a whirl. So you're De- I, can I be Meryl? I've yeah, okay, I'll be, be Meryl. Dennis. And you're Dennis Quay, the dropkick um, actor in. Um, uh, postcards from the edge. This is so going to be romantic. Go. Okay, yeah, it is. Yeah. It's a very, very romantic. Scene. You ready? Okay. Yes. I thought I was immune, immune to movie stars, but I've wanted you from the first time I saw you on screen, and that never happens to me. You're the realest person I've ever met in the abstract. <laughs> you had a shot in public domain where you looked at the camera into me, and I loved you. I can't explain you're it. You're doing pretty well. But you're my fantasy, and I want to make you real. Let me love you. You're serious. I don't know when you're kidding. I'm serious. You'll never be sorry. You sound like a rug salesman. My rug salesman. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it's better when Meryl does it, but we gave it a shot. Um, What article are you most excited about sharing from Un, Amelia? I love all the articles equally. Yeah. They're all my children. Yeah, we've but we edited some of those back and forth like five times. Oh my each. god, we're, ac- we're very academic. Yes. Yeah. But I will say that Kalinda Vary's article about the manic mothers is just so incredible. So it's pretty I don't know special. If I'm giving it away, but yeah, in the '90s, Kalinda's mother had um, a band called the Manic Mothers. It was Barb and Jenny, and they went around performing on Today Tonight and all of the manners of weird, trashy, kind of like Australiana shows. And um, Kalinda's covered this, you know, moment in Australian history that nobody really knows about. And it's hilarious. Mm. Kalinda's so funny, and you can just hear her voice in it. And she's a member of the band Presents. Exactly. And they will be launching our launching at our Melbourne launch. Yes, exactly. So if you're in Melbourne, come and see them. They're very yes, funny, yes. very and talented. Archie Moore's um, Puzzling Pages is also a standout for me yeah. in the style of like children's colouring in mm-hmm. books. And one of, the, one of the pages is called Make Me Coloured where he's um, getting the reader to use lead pencils. Uh, it's kind of like a, a biting remark on the treatment of Indigenous culture, I guess. But yeah. he, he kind of says like for a half-caste... Um, color you have to use um, is it nine H? Yeah. Yes. So it's it's kind of like a. Um, it's hard to describe. You might have to see. I it. mean, it's pretty much like the the books you would have had as a child. There are mm. dot to dots. There's crosswords. Um, you know, um, coloring in everything. But it's just like it's really it kind of pivots between very biting but also really humorous. I mm. think he gets it just right. I think, I think yeah. it's pretty special. So, um, who's curating our tracks today? Ah, today we have Raquel Caballero and Emily Hunt from Big Ego Books curating our tracks. Big Ego Books is a Sydney bookseller with a mind-blowing collection of art, photography, counterculture and erotic publications for smart people. 
And first up is Talking Heads with Born Under Punches.
was born under punches by the talking heads. You are listening to Canvas Art and Ideas on FBI Radio, broadcasting live from Volumes, another art book fair at Art Space. So come on down if you're close by. Um, we now, we have, we have Giselle Stanborough.com.au who does a wonderful feature that's ongoing on, on Canvas called Famous on the Internets. And you have someone rather special sitting uh, beside you. We have a celebrity um, on, on canvas today. This looks like a match made in heaven. Can you tell us how you both know each other? Um, well, oh, hello. Um, I actually first came across Athena X from a Gogglebox clip, funnily enough, of the reality TV show The Real Housewives of Sydney. And I was asked to uh, contribute to a performance night at the National Art School. And I was just so um, intrigued by a lot of the sort of conflicting messages that came across and the kind of, of layers that I saw or I first came across you, which was through Facebook, then Gogglebox, then the reality TV show. And I just wanted to hear from the horse's mouth, so to speak. So on that note, um, maybe you can say a few words about yourself um, for people that that might not have watched the show. Um, well, thank you for having me, first of all. Oh, and it's, it's such a pleasure. an honour that you um, have chosen me to be your subject. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Athenarix of today took many lifetimes to create. And <laughs> that was my catch um, phrase for Housewives when the titles would come up. And funny enough, um, if um, you are not aware, I've had many lifetimes because... I believe in past life and reincarnation and that I feel that um, we're just a soul on this earth, this plane, having a human experience and that's what I'm doing. And can I ask, did you author that catchphrase or um, how, how does that come about? How much sort of creative license do you have over your presentation in the show? Um, no, um, that came up with... Uh, the bright idea of one of the producers and I think because there's so much um, material, so many hours mm -hmm. of footage where they have been filming you, they pretty much know everything about you and I think it was very clear that yes, I was a very complex layered character, hence why I landed up on a reality show. Yeah. <laughs> That's so interesting. I'm very intrigued about this kind of, I guess, authentic self versus performative character dynamic that we see uh, a lot in um, reality TV shows because, of course, we as the audience don't have access to, you know, those hours and hours and hours of footage. So um, how did you sort of uh, strategize or approach um, the reality TV show experience? There was, I, I, I promise you there was no strategy. <laughs> I made a career being honest and putting my foot in it. <laughs> I'm the person in the room that will say what everybody else is thinking that would never have the guts to do because it's called uh, social suicide. Uh, I'm a ghost right uh, now, trust me. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. I've done that many times. So then in retrospect, looking, I'm, I'm particularly interested in these experiences in relation to your art and your art practice looking back on how the show sort of positioned you as an artist, is there anything that, you know... It was risky. It was very risky what I did because um, I knew that there was the danger of my art being um, poked fun at, laughed mm -hmm. at, mm -hmm. um, kind of uh, 
you know, uh, it, perhaps not taken as seriously as I wanted it to. But you know what? I always feel that it doesn't matter because art is about emotion mm. and stirring up dialogue and ultimately there will always be divided opinions on any art. So for me, I didn't really care what they were going to think. I was having an honest um, exploration mm. of what... Um, reality TV was. This was the first time mm, that I mm. ever embarked on something like this. And it wasn't easy. You know, it's not easy um, having to um, perform yeah. in front of four cameras mm, mm. with people that um, you have nothing in yeah. common with. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, you, you don't agree with their opinions or, you know, there's a bit of friction. And for me, I was very honest by allowing myself to express whatever feeling there was going on regardless of the cameras and what the viewer was going to think about and me. And so how um, has your approach to your art changed now that, you know, there are these sorts of um, kind of, uh, I guess, assumptions that people might be making, whether they're authentic or not, uh, from the show? I, I, I can't take that on. That's the... Like, this is... Um, I hope that young people are listening to this. You can't take on everybody else's idea of who they think you are or what your art is. Your art is your expression of your inner world and that's all you're giving your viewer. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, mm -hmm. if they don't enjoy it, that's that's their prerogative too. You yeah. can't... That's you can't true. control what people think of your art. You're there to execute the art and release it, and then that's it. That's all it is. And um, what's happening in your art practice now? <laughs> is uh... um, I'm actually p painting just a little bit at the moment. I've been quite absorbed with other TV projects. Mm, of course. So that's been taking up yeah, a lot yeah. of time. And as we know, art is a full-time um, obsession for mm. all of us who are artists. And you really have to do it a hundred percent there's nothing there's you know you can't say I do a little bit and then I go back and then I do a little bit you know it, it to me I think that my 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 authentic self comes out when I'm completely immersed in my studio making the art 24 hours thinking mm, about mm. it practically eating the paint and I haven't <laughs> been doing that these days so mm, you know mm. I'm not going to be a bullshit artist and yeah. say oh I've been oh I've been in the studio yeah, yeah. all day long I haven't mm, been doing mm, that as mm, much mm, but mm. I've been making art in my yeah, head yeah so oh, that counts great. for something yeah, right of course absolutely <laughs> and I, again you know that's a, that's a an interesting dynamic that in many ways relates to my obsession with reality tv the kind of silos of consciousness <laughs> and what goes on in people's heads and and how how do we sort of access other consciousnesses? What is real? To me, that's a, a kind of parameter of the reality TV show. But what can we look forward um, in, in the future, Athena Rex? What are you working on? Oh, I can't tell you these things. If oh. I was to tell you, then I would spoil the surprise. <laughs> oh, that's very intriguing. I can tell. This is not your first rodeo. I can tell you. You know how let to rodeo in the audience. Travel, let my astro travel and I'll let you know what the it's, angels will tell me. It's intriguing even um, your sort of uh, awareness of these assumptions. It, it sort of has an ironic twist when you say that. Do you? Would you agree with that? I don't know. I'm just being mm. honest. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, very, 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 very interesting. And what um, tips do you have for uh, our aspiring housewives that would want to be on reality TV? I think they should buy a mop 
and they should clean their house and buy some designer oh. handbags. And <laughs> I don't know. That's, I don't, I'm, I you're thank you. The wrong person. Uh, yeah. I don't even know how they found me. <laughs> well, that's you know, it's always good advice. Cleaning the home is really important, if only for personal hygiene. Exactly. Thank you so much for thank your time, you so Athena. I love you, Giselle. Oh, you too, Athena. It's such a pleasure. Right back at you, inside and out. Giselle, I have a question for you. What has it been like breaking the fourth wall? I mean, you've said you love reality TV. What's it been like to, to meet Athena X for you? Um, well, I think it's been, a, it's been such a pleasure. Athena, you're so generous with your time. Um, and again, it, I think it's like any relationship, which was sort of hinting at before, the space of other people's heads is such a sort of mysterious and, and sort of rich ocean that we can only access through language and we know all the sort of problems uh, of that but I've been just really really touched um, you know I think a lot of the issues about uh, class are raised certainly in uh, in this show um, and I have found you to be really really um, generous with your time. Thank you and uh, I, th what I wanted to say is that I've never seen it that way I only look at people as an energy and what they give me, you know, how they make me feel. And I've always been quite conscious about that, that I just want to touch people and when, when touch them with my energy and when they walk away from me, for them to have this nice feeling. And if we can all do that, it would be just such a beautiful planet, really. That's mm. what we all want. Giselle yeah. Stanborough is certainly is a ball of energy. And so Giselle has written a beautiful article with Athena X in the current UN. And um, there even is a double spread where uh, Athena is actually uh, helping Giselle pose for the, for the camera. It's a very beautiful, <laughs> endearing image. But we are going to go back to our curated tracks by Big Ego books and that's always on my mind by the pet shop boys oh i love that song <laughs>
Up next, we have Frank Lemev on Amatapay and Parker Bruce of Badlands Unlimited. So, Badlands Unlimited is a New York press publishing texts and works by artists and writers. Their latest publication is Into Words, a collection of writings by acclaimed painter Carol Dunham. And Badlands is known for their New Lovers Erotica series, as well as their anti-Trump protest signs, New Proverbs. They sell their books out of a retail flagship outlet store, Young Publisher 99 Cents and Up, located in Chinatown dollar, in a Chinatown dollar store. And so we have Bruce, uh, Parker Bruce, uh, who is the editor and writer living in New York. He currently works as, uh, yeah, as the editor of Badlands Unlimited. Good morning. Hi. Thanks for having me. Um, so, Parker, you, um, you've, you're here representing Badlands. Can you give us a sense of what you, you do in New York? Okay, so quickly, Badlands started back in 2010, founded by the artist Paul Chan. Um, I kind of joined about two and a half years ago as an intern, and then I just stayed on. It's a really small team. It's just four of us. And, yeah, we've kind of, once the new lovers thing started, that was kind of a whole project. And then the Trump signs has been a whole project. Mm. And we kind of just get ideas, and then they snowball and end up taking up, like, half a year. So can we talk a little bit about those anti-Trump posters? As you come into art space, you, you see them. They're quite amazing. And they're in the style of the Westboro Baptist Church, yeah. the God Hates Fags movement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, has the church seen them? Has, have they, they been have in touch? I thought they might. We gave them to this group um, to take down to D.C. for the Equality March in June. Yeah. And apparently the Westboro Baptist Church kind of like them. Like they kind they of, like yeah, them. Yeah. Right. Like, which was kind of crazy to get that kind of endorsement so um it's crazy and when yeah. who actually designed them like um, where did the idea come well paul from? chan the artist he designed the um it was his idea it was around the time of the women's march in dc in january yeah. so yeah. many people from new york were going down so he kind of designed these signs those original four signs like fags hate trump god hates trump etc and so people brought them down and then we decided to like mass produce them and it kind of became this whole nationwide campaign and I'm also selling little ones that are newer at the table that say like eat ass, pray love and things mm. like that. And people have really embraced them, haven't they? They're so yeah, we had to make popular. more last night. Amazing. Working late in the studio. So you're screen printing them, are you? Or no, I had to no. go to Officeworks and just oh, have them right. make, you know, <laughs> cut and paste, you know. <laughs> Um, so what has been one of the more, uh, you've got the Trump posters, what's, what's been another uh, memorable project that you've worked on that really, I guess, kind of um, talks about the potential of like art practitioners working with text and... I think another, well, the new lovers thing has been amazing, just watching mm. it grow. Like, it's, it's amazing that people here know what it is, and I just think it's so cool that people have embraced it and that it... We get so many orders from Australia. Like, our wow. orders come from basically America and Australia on our wow. website. So I just Incredible. thought it made total sense to come here and do this and everything. Great. Now I'm just going to introduce our other guest, Frank Lome, who is a founding director and chief curator of Onomatopoeia Projects, which has been operating since 2006. And it's a public gallery and publisher based in Eindhoven in the Netherlands. He's a catalyst in organising independent curators and spaces as a local, regional, national and international board member of various bodies such as... Is that right? Yes. Good. 
um, the Dutch equivalent to Common Practice and the International Association for Curators in Contemporary Art, IKT. Onomatopoeia Projects is known for to operate transdisciplinary, uh, transdisciplinarily, um, and you're producing art, design, theory, and creative writing, blending together to inspire in-depth experiences and to provide food for thought. Thank that, you for coming that's in. That's what we hope, yeah. Yeah? Well, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, Fred, can you just kind of briefly paint a picture of um, what you're doing in the Netherlands with Onomatope? Well, we, um, we have a space, you know, so mm -hmm. that, that's uh, important. It's, it's a place where people meet, where people hang out, but it's also a place where you produce stuff. Yeah. So it's uh, based, really. And, yeah. Um, uh, but that baseness is also changing, you know. We have this ongoing issue of the local and the global. What means the local? What, what, what do you have locally? You know, it's nice to check out local stuff. It could be housewise, but it could also be different. Yeah. Right? And um, so, uh, so Eindhoven is really a particular city in, in some ways. In some ways it's not, you know. In some ways it's symptomatic for changes which are happening worldwide. In some ways it's not. Um, because you've been operating for a decade now, so can you kind of like, do you, have you seen a lot of change in that time? Definitely. Mm -hmm. When we started out with Onomatope, Eindhoven was much more of a, of a kind of uh, industrial city. You yep. know, Philips still had uh, production facilities mm -hmm. in Eindhoven. Eindhoven is basically a Philips city. Yep. Uh, so it, it changed rapidly from industrial to post-industrial, from a, f uh, a space uh, or a city where, where, where stuff was still being made and, and there were workers around to a place where you had Indian guys coming in in mass and uh, all the, the production facilities that uh, have been taken out. So also in the creative field that is mirrored to, to a situation where artists could produce big time installation pieces in, in yeah, you know, whatever spaces they had available and mm -hmm. just build stuff uh, to a place where there's an artist community which is much more dependent on, on a kind of knowledge-based production and uh, more research-based, technology-based. Uh, so it's much more changed from, from, from really art, autonomous art, uh, into um, design, really. Mm -hmm. Because you have a gallery in your space as well. Yeah, yeah. So what are you hoping to provide for artists by providing that gallery space? Well, for artists, I think it's an opportunity at Onomatope because it's still provincial, you know. Mm -hmm. The city is provincial mm -hmm. in the end. It's, it's changing rapidly. But uh, in the end, you know, they're, they're a bunch of, of farmers still, you know, <laughs> so to say. In a way, I am too, but what I hope to do, uh, that, that's also why I'm still there, because I feel connected. But what I hope to do is that we can uh, take a leap, you know. I hope to take people seriously and, and, and get stuff going beyond, you know, take mm -hmm. stuff to another level. That's also why I started Onomatope. Uh, not just doing exhibitions, but also doing publishing, yep. because then you can you can take it to another level. You know, you can mm -hmm. build a critical community, you can distribute your stuff. Yeah, you know, I mean, that, that I guess that's the thing because now you've been able to come to Sydney and you've been able to kind of yeah, yeah. show um, what's going on in Europe. So I guess I just yeah, wanted to finish too. by asking you if you've seen any kind of like differences between the Dutch um, independent publishing and what what you've seen in Sydney? Well, um, the Netherlands has, has a huge uh, graphic design tradition mm -hmm. and I think many Dutch uh, publishers 
branch off from designers, you know? So it's difficult to start something independent. You have to have a business model that is viable, you know? Mm -hmm. People have to make a living, especially when you have to invest a lot of time into it. So it's the same for the artists previously on your show here, I heard. Yeah. So yeah, um, so, so being a designer, a graphic designer is really helpful because then you don't have the cost of the design or you can make a living by uh, being paid as a designer rather than being paid as a publisher. In our case, it's, it's different again, but I think that that's really helpful in, in understanding the, the, the legacy, so to say, of, of uh, Dutch independent publishing. Um, of course, there's always this DIY stuff, you know, people will always want to, 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 to get stuff going. You see that here, you can make little zines, just print it, you know, the risograph culture, it's all there, it's everywhere the mm -hmm. same, people want to do stuff. Mm -hmm. It is the DIY mentality. It is, yeah, you know, which is part of the arts to a huge extent as well, because you have hopes for something or aspire something, whatever. So yeah, I think it's it's a bit like that. You know, it's in a way similar. It's kind of a boring answer, maybe. But <laughs> no, it's always interesting. <laughs> I'm interested to hear what you um, both are working on next. What are you working on, Parker? Um, well, we're launch. When I go back to New York, we're launching that Carol Dunham book mm. at the Whitney. Okay. Um, and then we have like, we basically didn't put out any books this year because we did the signs, because that kind of took over. And so next year we'll hopefully put out another erotic book if we can get our act together. Exciting. A book about how to be human in the art world, kind of an ethical guide. Like um, then we're putting out a book about um, kind of like, I don't know if you guys know about what happened at the Whitney Biennial with the Dana Schutz painting. Yes. So it's a book about that called White Walling by this woman. But maybe you could just explain it really yeah, quickly um, for people who don't Dana know. Dana Schutz is a white woman who painted the Emmett Till uh, casket in this abstract way and it was very controversial back in New York and it caused this huge uproar. So we're um, doing a book by this woman, Aruna D'Souza, about that mm -hmm. and other occurrences of that type of appropriation and um, whitewashing of the art world. So that'll come out, yeah, big year next year. Okay, and what's coming up for Onomatope? Uh, we have two uh, year-long programs mm -hmm. uh, up now. One is called Sense and Sensibility, which is about uh, girlhood and that kind of stuff. It's uh, basically a, a girl's room that we made when we put in lots of stuff and lots of stuff is happening. Okay. People coming in, people coming out. It's a bit like a, a show, a group show in development. So that is going on until the end of the year and then we'll make a publication of all the content produced. And we have another big project which is called We Are The Market, wherein we basically go out onto the streets with interventions, with actions, with theatrical performance, whatever, just to reach out and tell people that there's something else on offer as well as all this stuff which is out there already. So, and then we also make a publication of that. And, yeah. Fantastic. Fabulous. Thank you so much for coming in and um, talking to us, Freik and, and Parker. Um, we are going to continue with our curated tracks by Big Ego Books, and we have Tusk by Fleetwood Mac.
you are listening to Canvas Art and Ideas on FBI Radio, and we're broadcasting live from the Volumes, another art book fair at Artspace. Um, up next, we have a rather special uh, segment that is, is being uh, run by um, artist Malcolm Whitaker, and it's called Ignoramus Anonymous. I'll leave it. I'll I'll leave it with you. Uh, thanks, David. So. For a, a number of years now, I've been running this project, uh, Ignoramus Anonymous, and uh, it takes the form of a support group for ignorance. Um, normally, we would hold these meetings in community centres and libraries. It's also been on some galleries and festival-type programs. And David's asked if, as an experiment with the project, maybe see what happens if we run, run one as a radio event. Yes. Uh, so with that in mind, here we are at Artspace, gathered in a circle of chairs, and I propose that uh, we run this support group for ignorance here between us. So welcome everyone to Ignoramus Anonymous. Good to see you here. How these meetings normally begin is with a little bit of uh, guided meditation. And so if that's agreeable to you, I propose that's how we begin this meeting too. Please. Um, so, I mean, like with any meditation, it's best if we start by finding a sort of a comfortable position in your chair where you can uh, maybe find a way that your back can be erect but not stiff. And if it's agreeable to you, we close our eyes and just start with a focus on our breath. Focus on the breath in and on the breath out. You want to embody a sense of dignity and of confidence. Now, think to yourself, bring to mind your name. My name is Malcolm Whitaker. What is your name? This is the title with which so much of your life revolves around. It was probably given to you by your parents, though perhaps it has been altered or adopted since then. Let's go back to your original name at the time of your birth. Begin to consider what this title means. Begin to consider why you were given this title in particular. Take this analysis back one step further by considering how you happened to be born in the first place. That is, how did your parents come together to meet and to mate? Did your parents consciously decide to have a child? And do you know that for sure? Or could your life on this planet be a complete accident? Give the same consideration to your parents. How did they come to be born? What cities were your parents born in? if they were born in cities at all. If they were born in different cities, why did they move through space so that their paths would intersect? Amidst all the wars and famines and earthquakes and other disasters throughout human history, how did those genetic strains which combined in you through your parents manage to survive when so many other genetic strains have disappeared throughout the years? Can you estimate how many migrations, wars of conquest and economic upheavals led to the genetic strains of your father and mother coming together to produce you and give you this name that you go by? If you happen to find your mind wandering, then that's quite all right. Just gently bring yourself back to this task 
to answer the question, how did this continent on which we now sit emerge through geological evolution? In your own way, however rough or vague, attempt to account for the formation of the planet and the appearance and evolution of life on Earth up until your naming right. Why is this planet capable of supporting life? And why did it produce the kind of life that would dream up and undertake an exercise such as this that we are doing now? Why would you do an exercise such as this? With this current thought, bring your attention towards the present. How and why did you come to be in the city of Sydney right now, of all the cities on this planet? Consider your interactions over the last couple of years, maybe. A while back, I could not find my toothbrush in the bathroom of my home in Sydney. I looked where I believed to be everywhere and eventually rang my partner, thinking that maybe she might know where it was. She told me it was in the cupboard behind the mirror over the sink. Despite living in this house for some years now, I had no idea there was a cupboard behind that mirror. <laughs> in our last federal election, I voted below the line for the first time on the large piece of paper which I believe represented our Senate, although I did not understand the entirety of what my vote supported or represented. This led me to return to previous feelings I've had on the nature of compulsory voting and it being undemocratic as it compels ignorant choices. This then led to feelings of a sort of Western guilt when taking into account all those who shed blood around the world in order to attain the right of being able to vote in a democracy. This then led to further feelings of guilt when I realised I could not name countries where this bloodshed is the case, let alone locate those countries on a world map. And speaking of the location of countries on a world map, at a previous meeting of Ignoramus Anonymous, a young woman confessed to not knowing where the Torres Strait Islands are. She was particularly embarrassed by this because she comes into contact with the name so often. Do you know where the Torres Strait Islands are? Do you know why they are where they are instead of them being somewhere else? Why are they known to us as the Torres Strait Islands instead of by another name? And why do the Torres Strait Islands exist at all? On my way here this morning, I was mulling over the fact that children are not allowed into licensed premises such as pubs and casinos until 18 years of age, as up until this point they are not deemed emotionally or intellectually mature enough to avoid corruption by such spaces. Yet these same children are allowed into religious premises such as churches, synagogues and mosques from the time of their birth. What do you think of this? These are everyday quandaries that both can and cannot be answered by the quick googling of a subject. Like all forms of knowledge, this is information that is ultimately created, edited, and orchestrated by the brain to form beliefs that hold personal truth. The circle that you are sitting in now has been set up as a space to Google this information with each other. Not to answer questions, but to remain in a state of wonder through asking and discussing them. You might possess the knowledge that two plus two equals four, but do you know how and why the number two and the number two amount to the number four? In the next couple of moments, let's Open our eyes and begin a respectful discussion by Googling any thoughts on your mind with one another present. This could take the form of stories, of times, or matters, or skills, or subjects on which you have felt or continue to feel ignorant regarding. It could be something you were ignorant of that got you into trouble or caused embarrassment. Or it could be something nagging away at your conscience from the news or current affairs that you simply just don't get. When you're ready, 
Let's begin. And now for the sake of uh, those listening at home, we've got a couple of microphones to circle around the circle. Um, if anyone has anything to share, uh, an ignorance of any sort. It's How do we... Oh. Sarah Rodigari. I, I was going to ask for um, anonymity in my name, but thanks, David. <laughs> um, I would like to begin with thinking back, casting my mind back um, to this morning, and I was mixing chia seeds with coconut juice, and I wanted to know how every time I mix them, little chia seeds get stuck to the side and above the level of liquid and how do they mix down like do they float they float they seem to float and I was just wondering about the gravity or the liquid capacity of chia seeds and do they need to be mixed and how to mix them and I had no idea about this well I would have to admit that I actually don't even know what a chia seed is to begin with um, let alone the, the idea of the I tried to start low and simple <laughs> Yeah, so what, they're sticking to the sides and you, you have to continue to scrape them back down into the drink? Mm, this morning I actually stuck my fingers into the glass and sh cause I shoved them down because I couldn't be bothered to find something else to do. And you feel a sense that they just... Why, why can't they just behave the way I want them to to mm. enjoy this drink? And if you swirl it around, the chia seeds just move further up and they don't soak or expand, they just remain crunchy. And then they get stuck in your teeth, which is like, why chia seeds at all? Well, why does anyone else have this experience of uh, a frustration of why their meal or drink won't behave the way it sh seems like it I should? I can sympathise with the chia seed issue and also being in the privileged position of having a dishwasher in my house can say that it is extremely frustrating to have to wash the filter every time I've had chia seeds that week because they're like glue. And it's like they leave a trace of themselves everywhere. Mm. What if you planted a chia seed? What would it grow? Like, what's a chia? Chia pet. Exactly. <laughs> a what? Chia pet. <laughs> what's a chia? Can pet? you expand on a chia, chia pet? pet. Chia, back um, in my youth, they used to be <laughs> marketed um, to teach children about. Um, agriculture and growing um, and it was called a chia pet and it had a theme song and it went chia chia chia, chia. <laughs> and they are the very same chia seeds that we eat and love as a superfood today well not exactly the same ones but the same kind like not the same, 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 same species yeah, yeah. so they went from being a sort of way of teaching kids about agriculture yeah, to now be, being a... It was a bit like topiary or something. It had a ceramic base and the, yeah. the chia seeds would sprout and it would And because the they fur. were sticky, that's how they would stay on the pet. Mm, yeah. Which is... We took advantage of that quality back then. Yeah. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. <laughs> this one? Well, Google has just given me a very interesting fact about chia seeds um, firstly they were used as offerings to the Aztec gods um, but they have really high levels of dietary fibre oil 
and gum. So the gum could be responsible for the stickiness. Um, it says that they um, they have potential the, for because in- the gum inside the stick. Yeah, the gum is inside the stick. Exactly. So once they're placed in water, the gum emerges. How do you place them in the water? How do you place them in the water, keep them in the water? And I didn't know you could grow chia seeds at home. Yeah. <laughs> in a chia pet. In a chia pet. Look, you might want to ask Uncle Google. Well, I don't know. Well, well, I mean, I'm doubting myself now. Not to, like they sort of came encased in like an animal-shaped stocking. <laughs> and then they sort of grew through the fibres of the stocking. So you could still sort of maintain the shape of the animal without actually having to prune it. And that was part of the idea. It became a sort of sculptural yeah. um, animal with the yeah. chia and they things would, growing. They would often also market animals that were kind of like hairy. <laughs> <laughs> like did a, you have a chia pet? No, but I really wanted one. Yeah. Oh, well. It's a fine. I eat them all the time now, though. Do you eat them with stuff? I don't like them on their own. I actually had chia... A little chia bowl on the first day of the fair. Um, I had it with berries. There was goji, blueberries, strawberries, and like some kind of compote in the base. They were soaked. It was kind of like eating like frogs' eggs. And there's a trend now where it's yeah. it's, it's a health food. Is that right? Um, look, I feel it's healthy. a superfood. So what, yeah. I, I mean, I get confused every time I skim through the paper, and it seems to be a different superfood, a different. Uh, diet, eat this combination of yeah. things and you'll live forever. Yeah. Oh no, wait, sorry about that last week. You've, that's actually really bad for you to do that. Um, <laughs> I don't understand why we can't just get that combination of things right and, and whether chia, what makes it super, mm. what makes super food, what makes the idea of healthy living. Um, uh, I don't know if anyone else feels this way about um, just not being sure about what's going on inside your body. Uh, well, a chia seed is not only a superfood, it's a super pet. And it's saying, <laughs> eat your pets. Eat your pets. Eat, eat your pets? Yeah. Oh, dear. <laughs> is this what it's saying? Perhaps. <laughs> okay, so I never knew chia, pet, chia pets even... They flower? My, they have mine chia. was... I think I had a hedgehog. They sprout. <laughs> Did anyone have a chia pet here? Well, I, no, had a I, don't, I don't know what it is. <laughs> oh. oh, there's some Googling happening. Oh. I had one, uh-huh. but um, uh-huh. can we do an audio description? description? Did yes. yours go mouldy? Yeah, I think I... Just, a chia it pet looks like, um, looks like a dust hound. It looks like a hedgehog. Eat it back then. It wasn't known it as a food. It, it, no, you grew it and then you, you threw, it, threw it in the bin. Yes, yeah, right. If it didn't go mouldy. There's something else that I'm ignorant of is practice on the radio and so I'm learning that here from Aurora who's making some sort of signal What's your as if signal, we need Aurora? to wrap up or we, we do need to wrap up, up. Okay, she's so doing the helicopter I mean yeah. we can keep those of us here in the circle at Artspace can keep um, pondering That's chia right. pets and ignorance but I think the canvas needs to come to a close so David might it come does. in and say what so needs to be said now there. everyone listening what riveting radio really I think now you're now you can go to your next dinner party and you'll know everything about a chia pet and it'll be fascinating conversation. Um, Which I, sorry to just interject, but not yes. normally um, how meetings, we're not normally looking for answers, but retaining a state of wonderment and curiosity. But it's good that we have learnt something about Chia, perhaps <laughs> over the course of the last five or ten minutes. True, true. No, it's, um, it's been... Uh, 
Wonderful. Thank you so much, Malcolm. Thank that, you. That was marvellous. Thank you for listening and thank you to our guests, Amelia Winata, thank Frank Lowey, um, Parker Bruce, Athena X, Giselle Stanborough, Big Eagle, Eagle Ego Books, and Sarah Rodigari and Malcolm Whitaker and, um, and uh, Amelia Winata. We've thanked you. Thank you so much for, for you, joining David. us. And thank you to Un Magazine and Art Space. And Canvas is brought to you by a team of artists Abdul Abdullah, David Capra, Nat Randall, and Aurora Scott. <laughs> and now to our final. What was that? Sorry. And volume one is on till six today at Art Space. Please you still have make time. your way. Yes, please make your way. And now to our final curated track by Big Ego Books. Stay tuned to uh, Weekend Lunch with Christy um, Mo Forsal. Quasimodo's dream